Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me in a bit will be Peter Salmon. I am thankful Peter is joining us this week, and it is the week before Thanksgiving. And uh, a lot to be thankful for, uh, maybe. It can't speak for everyone here. I'm thankful that it is almost Thanksgiving time. Uh, it means a nice little break. <laughs> it's been a busy, busy month, and uh, going to be an even busier fall. So I'm thankful for a day off. Let's just put it that way. And Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be another celebrity documentary. This time it is Britney vs. Spears, which you can now stream on Netflix, and I believe it is in the top 10 of the Netflix, uh, the daily top 10. <laughs> Netflix has a countdown. Coming up next, the Netflix top 10. But uh, it was definitely in the top 10 all weekend when... Peter and I reviewed it, so, um, well, obviously you can't check it out right now because you're listening to the show. And since you're listening to the show, we'll get to the first half of, uh, what we're doing here, which is the second part of our James Bond ranking. No Time to Die comes out this coming Friday in a theater near you, and indeed, there are a couple of theaters near us, so you'll likely be able to check out No Time to Die at either one of them. Uh, but if you'd rather stay at home and watch um, any of the first 24 James Bond movies, I believe they're all on Crave. Um, I have the James Bond DVD set, but um, if you have lost your faith in physical media, let's say, and you're uh, a streamer and you have access to a Crave app, or knows, knows someone who has access to the Crave app, you can uh, find all the James Bond movies there. So last week we did... Uh, 24 through 13. I don't, I don't have the list in front of me, so I was like, let's recap them where we are, but I don't have the list in front of me, so we'll just have to just take my word for it. The other 12 movies are on that list in some order. Or you can always go back and listen to last week's show, um, on, on the, on your podcast app. So we'll pick up where we left off. So that was number 12. And this is You Only Live Twice which was Sean Connery's second-to-last James Bond movie. You can sort of tell in it he's kind of getting a little weary of <laughs> of being James Bond. This would be his fifth one at this point. Um, they're getting more and more ambitious, of course. Uh, this is kind of the first one where we see Blofeld face-to-face. Um, I think it's the first one we see him like, in the face, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it is, though, but it's played by Donald Pleasance, who I think it may be the best Blofeld. <laughs> uh, the plot is kind of ludicrous with Blofeld like, kidnapping astronauts, and uh, but it, it, the, the more problem, I mean, not that the James Bond movies aren't the early ones anyway, some of the later ones, too, aren't problematic. But, I mean, this one's kind of especially problematic because in it, James Bond has to go undercover as a Japanese man. And, uh, you know, I, I think in somebody's mind while making this movie, maybe, you know, Lewis Gilbert, who is the director, you know, they thought they were doing good. They were trying to be progressive because getting, you know, this 
misogynistic dinosaur James Bond to show proper like Japanese respect. Uh, I'm sure that was what they told themselves, but it just doesn't work out. Um, and it's <laughs> it's this like kind of long, painful to watch sequence in in 2021 as James Bond is transformed in air quotes uh, into an undercover Japanese man because it he's very clearly uh, a gruff looking Scottish man no matter how you do his hair. So we go from that. <clears throat> To number 11, which is The Spy Who Loved Me, which was a Roger Moore outing. Um, kind of in, in the middle there, it was right before Moon Ranker. Um, so it's not quite ludicrous yet. The plot is that um, they're trying to find this guy who's trying to start a war between Russia and the West and uh, Bond descent. Uh, on behalf of the West, there's a Russian agent who's sent, whose whose codename is Triple X, so real subtle. Uh, and there's uh, there's obviously a sexual dimension because she's a female Soviet agent, and he's the macho Western agent James Bond. <laughs> uh, but I mean, added to that is the fact that in the opening sequence, you see James Bond kill her lover, although you find that out. You don't find that out as you're watching it. You find out later when she's given the bad news. So in this in, in this midpoint, she finds out James Bond in the middle of their mission that James Bond killed her lover, and she's like, "Well, when this is over, uh, of course." I mean, it doesn't end up like that. It would have been interesting if this had ended in like some sort of actual confrontation rather than just you know James Bond getting laid again. But um, I think that's probably the most disappointing thing about the movie. Otherwise, it's like a perfectly serviceable adventure. The villain is kind of forgettable, but um, you know, there's some great like gadgets and settings and um, it kind of it kind of balances the best of like these sort of Bond extreme settings because there's a, there's a skiing sequence, there's an underwater sequence. Sometimes James Bond movies only have time for one or the other, but uh, in The Spy Who Loved Me, you get both. Uh, also, Spy Who Loved Me introduced Jaws, who is prob- remains probably the most famous of the James Bond henchmen, and uh, the actor who plays Jaws is, is just wonderful in it. There's a scene where Jaws fights a tiger shark, and he bites the shark with his metal jaw. It's, it's perfect. Chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> number 10 is From Russia With Love, which um, is an, one of the, the second James Bond movie. You can tell they're still trying to find the rhythm it's more procedural it's kind of like it's not a big story either because in it it's about james bond trying to get like this soviet decoder thing and then trying to sneak it out of um soviet territory and part of the plot is like trying is he has to romance this russian civil servant who has also been set up by specter to be like some sort of trojan horse that's not explicitly clear because as soon as she's in James Bond's orbit, she falls head over heels in love with him, <laughs> even though he's clearly not, he's clearly there on business, let's say. Um, but it's still, I mean, because Sean Connery's so great in the role, and um, I find these early James Bond films very interesting, that they're not relying so much on gadgets and buffoonery. And from Russia with Love, you know, it's the first movie with Q in it, but he's not identified as Q, in the cast list, Q has a name, 
And you can look it up when you, like, go wiki from Russia with Love and you can find Q's name. They only use it twice in the series. Uh, number nine, I have The Living Daylights, which is Timothy Dalton's first mo- uh, first Bond movie. Uh, it's also kind of like the last Cold War Bond, because License to Kill is about, like, drug running in South America. It's uh, not so much about Cold War stuff. So um, this is kind of like the last Cold War Bond, which makes it interesting. It is... It's kind of not... Much of the Roger Moore era, of course, was typified by, like, this silliness and over-the-topness and bigness and ripping off movie trends. And, like, the last Roger Moore movie ends with a fight on top of the Golden Gate Bridge and a blimp. Uh, the Living Daylights is much more slicker, uh, much more grounded. Uh, Timothy Dalton comes in. He's like a breath of fresh air because he has this look in his eye where he's kind of mad uh, I don't mean angry, I mean, like, crazy. Um, he's a, a very different Bond than what we've seen before, and it's very interesting sort of watching him work in this very sort of standard, kind of old-fashioned Bond adventure, where it's about who's got what motive to do what, and it, it, it all centers around this Russian general played by uh, Jeroen Krabbe, who people probably recognize most from The Fugitive, the Harrison Ford movie The Fugitive. He's the crooked doctor that set up Dr. Kimball. Um, but he's great in it. And uh, it, it, it showed real promise for what at the time I guess people hoped would have been four or five <laughs> Timothy Dalton adventures. Timothy Dalton, gets a, again, he gets a bad rap because he was only in two Bond movies. But that's unfair to him because uh, that wasn't his fault. Uh, which we m- might get to a bit later. Doctor No is at number eight. Again, this, it, it's it's a very sort of procedural Bond film. It's about him following clues, not necessarily not necessarily going from stunt to stunt to stunt. Um, so it has a very different flavor, a very kind of relaxed a flavor, kind of a bit more dangerous kind of flavor because it's not about like the jetpacks and the underwater subs and the cars that turn into subs and cars that turn into airplanes and all that stuff later on. It's it's very very pared down, but it's. It's a relaxed bond, shall we say, but um, it, it does set a course for a lot of what we see later on. At number seven, I have Casino Royale, which rebooted the Bond franchise with Daniel Craig. Uh, he, I think people... This was before social media, too, so when he was announced as the new Bond, people were like, what the hell is this? He's blonde. He's not like, conventionally handsome. He, you know, um, he's kind of rougher. And what's interesting is that probably no other Bond has been as close to the Connery mold as Daniel Craig. And he really uses it, this idea of Bond as, like, a blunt instrument. And the movie does... The movie's really good at showing those cues and sort of sending that message without necessarily talking about it out loud, like in the parkour chase that starts off where the guy's leaping over fences and buildings and Bond just, like, bursts through the wall like the Kool-Aid man. Um, he's not suave and sophisticated. He's he's on the job. He's all business. And it was the start of something beautiful. Daniel Craig. Everyone had Everyone had written him out until they had actually seen the movie. At number six, I have For Your Eyes Only. This is the uh, the second Roger Moore movie on this list. It came after Moonraker, which <laughs> I, I think somebody was sitting in the audience for, at that premiere and said, we've gone too far. 
Let's bring. Let's reel it in. <laughs> this is crazy. Bond in space. Uh, space Marines with lasers, laser fights. No, we've gone too far. So it it comes down to Earth, almost literally. And the movie actually starts on this very somber note with Bond going to his wife's grave and leaving flowers, which is not necessarily always addressed in these films, although it, it does occasionally sometimes come up that, you know, Bond had a wife, and we will get to that movie shortly. And, uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting that um, it starts on this very somber note, and then it gets sort of right into this kind of weird adventure. And again, it's it's very down to earth. It's about this British missile system that it's on a boat. It, the boat gets sunk. He has to race the Russians to get it. Um, there's a kind of very Julian Glover, who people may know from Game of Thrones as the the very crooked maester in King's Landing, and also from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he plays the American businessman turned Nazi turncoat. So it, it it really scales back, and it feels very refreshing in that way, even though we're kind of getting into Moore's um, latter years. Uh, he's still pretty solid in For, for Your Eyes Only too. At number five, I have Goldeneye, which is Pierce Brosnan's first Bond. Um, it comes after this six-year period where MGM is struggling financially. Pierce Brosnan, of course, famously was um, going to be Bond for The Living Daylights. He was the first choice of the producers and the studio. Uh, he was attached at the time to a TV show called Remington Steel, which was essentially Bond practice. You can go back and watch that show. But... Um, as soon as it came out that Pierce Brosnan was being considered for Bond, the show had been canceled. And so Pierce Brosnan was then essentially free to be Bond. And as soon as there was interest around Pierce Brosnan, NBC brought the show back. So he had to do the show and not be Bond in 1987, which may have worked out well for him because he gets to come back in 95 in this really solid GoldenEye movie, which um, there's no fat on it because MGM couldn't afford the fat. Um, you get a really great villain in Sean Bean, as well as uh, Famke Johnson as Xenia Onatop, maybe one of the best sort of female henchmen, best, one of the best female characters, perhaps, period, in the James Bond movies. Uh, you deal with the fallout of the Cold War. You get Judy Dench as a female M. Just brilliant, brilliant uh, sort of rejuvenation of the franchise after a long hiatus. Too bad the Bruce and the Brosnans didn't fare as well. Anyway... At number four, we have Skyfall, which is super ambitious for the 50th anniversary of the franchise, although there's precious little sort of, like, nostalgia tripping in it. It's a very um, fascinating uh, sort of story in that Cass M, basically M becomes the Bond girl in the story, which is a very interesting direction to make Judy M the Bond girl in the movie. And you get a lot of, you get, like, new versions of Money Penny and Q... And uh, you get the great title song by Adele. Uh, Roger Deakins doing the cinematography uh, for Sam Mendes as the director. Just beautiful. There's this beautiful sequence. I, I can't. I think it's in Shanghai where you get the, all this neon lights fading in and out as Bond is hunting this um, hired assassin. Just it, it's perhaps as close as we get to cinematic brilliance in a modern James Bond movie. Uh, a number three of On Your Majesty's Secret Service, which 
it, it's it's kind of the last Jedi. When when you go back and sort of read the reaction to on Her Majesty's Secret Service, it's kind of the last Jedi at the time because it completely shakes up the formula, and people didn't like it. People didn't like the shaking up of the James Bond formula. Get George Lazenby who is more accessible than Connery. He still has a, this kind of raw physicality as Connery, but he's a, he was a model. He was a, This was his first movie role. But he has also a warmth as well. He's also more physical. I'm not saying that Sean Connery wasn't physical, but George Lazenby, you can actually see him in the action sequences. They made a, 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 an effort to show him actually doing the fighting. And he has a great physicality as well. Plus, you get this great relationship with Diana Rigg, who is so beautiful, so fierce in it. Um, although she disappears through much of the middle portion of the movie, but you really do believe that there is a, a, like a viable human romantic connection between her and Bond, and that makes the end so much more tragic. Um, to see a Bond movie which ends with like Blofeld doing a drive-by of James Bond and his newly married wife, and she gets killed, and he's there holding her weeping. You would never, I, I, not knowing what happens in No Time to Die, but it's hard to believe you would get away with that now. Um, and that's one of the many reasons why On Her Majesty's Secret Service is, is quietly brilliant. It's a very dangerous movie in, in sort of the blockbuster sense. So for number two and number one, I have Thunderball and Goldfinger, respectively. And... Perhaps these two are interchangeable in a sense. I, I highlight Goldfinger a little bit more because uh, Ulrich Goldfinger is just such a great villain. Um, you also have um, Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore, one of the most well-known of the Bond girls. But she's also a fascinating character, too. I mean, her her, na- her, her unfortunate name aside. And you also get like several like very iconic scenes, like the, the scene of um, Jill Masterson covered in gold paint, lying on the bed. Uh, but these are the two films that sort of secure what we think of Bond movies, in terms of all the tropes and things. So they're very consequential. Like These are the two movies where Bond essentially becomes Bond. And I, I'm not saying they're interchangeable at all. I think you know Thunderball has some great sequences. It has the jetpack. It has the uh, the fight in the um, Spectre, this huge Spectre facility. It, it's really quite brilliantly done. But Goldfinger is essentially where Bond becomes Bond with the the villainy, the the Bond girls, the whole villain capturing Bond and strapping him to a table to laser him and all that stuff. So. Goldfinger is the Bond we think about when we think about Bond. What do we think about when we think of Britney Spears? Well, we think about her first hit, Baby One More Time. And to usher us into this week's review of Britney vs. Spears on Netflix, let's hear a cover. This is the Coltrane Quartet doing Baby One More Time. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Pretty baby, I shouldn't have let you go I must confess that my loneliness is killing me now Don't you know I still believe that you will be here and give me a sign Give me baby one more time My loneliness is killing me 
Britney's been silenced to speak out about anything that's really going on. Britney's never had one person she could trust, not mom, not dad. Britney had a fear that her family would barge in and take everything. What was going on inside the conservatorship? And why was she still in one if she was, quote, okay? There was financial incentives for Jamie, for the lawyers. I've represented dozens of conservatees in court. Not one of them has ever had a job. Brittany made other people a lot of money. I've worked my whole life. I don't owe these people anything. And that was a clip from Britney versus Spears. It's the new film from Aaron Lee Carr and Jenny Alescu. And it features a lot of messed up detail about the conservatorship of Britney Spears. I'm now on the line with Peter Salmon. Peter, how are you today? I'm doing good, doing good. Just uh, living here in Ottawa. And, <laughs> you know, the capital of our country. I hope Guelph's good. You know, our capital is doing quite well. But I do miss, I miss the old royal city and I hope it's, I hope it's doing well. Oh, it, you, felt, you, uh, it, it felt weird for the first time not being in Guelph for the uh, major elections, but it was, it was, it was fun in Ottawa too, but I did miss some of the old, uh, just different wards and, you know, figures we have representing them. And, you know, mm-hmm. I like the East End of Guelph and uh, those areas is where um, it becomes the most separate. So I feel the most East End patriotic and that was fun. So. Did you vote in your Ottawa riding? Uh, no, no, I did it. I was, uh, I had to, I still got to do some stuff. I know I could have, I could have gone in, but nah, just, no, I didn't. I didn't did vote. I'm, one, All right. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I did do though. Um, okay. <laughs> I, uh, I like followed my district's NDP party and I did do like, you know, I got retweet and get a lot of support and, I am being myself followed by Lynn Pascal, who was our NDP head. And I bumped into her at the grocery store. So I didn't vote, but I've immersed myself in the NDP uh, politics of my district. Ottawa East is actually, I'm in East again in Ottawa. I'll bet that East. (gasps) Okay, wow. Uh, Did not expect uh, all of that information, but that's okay. We're going to review Britney versus Spears, which is a Netflix documentary about uh, not so much the singer, but about her her legal troubles and about her struggle to get out from under her conservatorship and how she got under that conservatorship to begin with. And Peter, this was your selection. So uh, why (laughs) did you want to uh, tackle Britney versus Spears? The case of Britney versus Spears. Oh, well, I just, uh, I like that pop culture, you know? Um, and uh, <clears throat> I'm not uh, like a huge fan myself of, well, I don't know. I did, I did like a lot of uh, Britney Spears work, but I'm more of a, a Zoe 101, Jamie Lynn Spears fan. <clears throat> so I remember during when all the trials were going on and they made focus, I was actually kind of, I was giving some hate to Britney because she was hating on her sister and Jamie Lynn's younger and like she was pregnant as a teen, you know, and I, I, just, mm-hmm. I wish Brittany, his older sister kind of maybe helped her out a bit. But um, I know Jamie Lynn is also not a great sister, but uh, that's why this doc came out on Netflix and I wanted to give it a try and, you know, kind of maybe change my view upon it. Um, and mm-hmm. it actually it did. I, I did learn a lot from Britney Spears. I know there was, I think, another Netflix or a HBO one or something, but um my headspace was not an appropriate one to give a good analysis of uh, something with a Britney focus. 
Yes. And I actually, I'm sorry, last thing for, uh, <laughs> um, I really like the, uh, the documentarian. She's done a lot of work for uh, other Netflix ones that I enjoy and uh, Vice. Vice is really great. Well, not all of Vice. I, I, I do, um, I really like Vice's documentaries and yeah, she did a great job. Okay. Uh, yes, this is, there has been a cottage industry of Britney Spears documentaries. There were the two, New York Times documentaries framing Britney Spears and controlling Britney Spears. Uh, there was a CNN one that was produced. I think it came out last week or the week before. It's called Toxic, um, based the title taken from a fairly well-known Britney Spears song. And there was another one somewhere in the works that I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, this there has been a lot of Britney Spears business on her recent I mean and I I think to the point that it probably has helped um accelerate you, you know the the decisions that have been reached on her behalf uh regarding the end of her conservatorship it looks like that is coming to an end um that, that was kind of a couple of weeks ago uh that or that uh, her father announced that he was stepping down from her conservatorship. She now has a sort of fill-in conservator who is... I don't know. Yeah. Is it, is it fill-in or it's it's her agent? I, I don't know if she's fully out of it. No, she's not out of it. Yeah, it's just her dad isn't a part of it, which is, you know, that's phenomenal. Yes, no, her, her father's not out of it. Um, well, no, her father's out of it. The conservatorship's not over. There is, I think, a court action coming up in November, if uh, if I remember correctly, that could end the conservatorship. She now does have her own legal representation, um, which is kind of was kind of the first step to this is that she's been for years wanting to get her own lawyer instead of the lawyer appointed to her through the conservatorship, who not incidentally seemed to have been one of the many people who um, were ma- basically making money off of her conservatorship is if the the details and uh, Britney versus Spears are to be believed, which uh, seems pretty likely that I can't imagine uh, any of this being made up, but I think um, about them, like I, I find the details of this sort of more interesting to talk about than the film itself. Like the film is like kind of like a basic, it, it comes from the Netflix true crime documentary style guide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like it's not an outstanding documentary. I was hoping for a bit more of a, you know, an art focus. I was hoping for something more along the lines of, uh, you know, Jasper Mall. But um, <laughs> it was, it was still, it was still good. The one thing I did enjoy, I it was um, almost like a uh, a film essay in the sense that the uh, director, she uh, Aaron Lee Carr, she gave there was just a, a lot of portions where she would just discuss it with her friend. Right. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. Her father was uh, one of the heads for New York times. Right. So um, I do think some of her scholarly genes appear uh, throughout the film. Yes. Her father, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head. Mr. Carr. Well, I, 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 I know <laughs> it was Mr. Carr. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people called uh, him Mr. Carr, but it, uh, David you know Carr, what? New York times, maybe Dr. Carr. Dr. David Carr. No, no, he was he was not a doctor, but David Carr, he was the yeah, he was a media reporter at the, the New York Times and uh, a man with a very interesting life story himself uh, coming out of 
actually not too dissimilar. Actually, I shouldn't say that. But I mean, he he had like some really low points because he was basically he was drug addicted and Mm -hmm. uh, he had to pull himself out of his his drug addicted uh, morass and and put him on a track to being, you know, one of the one of the more device, not divisive, but like definitive voices uh, at the New York Times um, right up till his uh, death a few years ago. But yeah, so she she has an interesting pedigree in the car. Um, yeah, the, the style, I think, is very familiar. If you've ever watched like, uh, I don't know, uh, the Sons of Sam or the the Night Stalker doc, uh, like any just like any of the true crime docs that it's there is a there is there is a house style for these things. What I think sets Britney versus Spears apart is that it doesn't focus because I think some of these other documentaries that have been done sort of focus on telling the story through the actions of Britney Spears like this is how she ended up in the conservatorship and the interesting thing about this is that it comes from the point of view as like this was something that was done to her and it doesn't sort of wallow into the like the mistakes that she might have made or some of the behaviors no absolutely not this was actually for her not just for the attention like a lot of others yeah you know, you go is you still you go on a TMZ. It's still she's like the article about her is number one, and like they use a bad photo, and it there's still such awful portrayals of her and a focus on her negativities, and that's yeah. that's what I really enjoyed from it. You're right, like it's pretty tame when it comes to the style, but I'm glad that it was a genuinely positive. It was for Britney, and and Emily herself, she's a huge fan, right? And she made that uh, very clear. Uh, yeah, Aaron, and, not Emily Jeepers. Aaron, yeah, and the the co-director Jenny. I don't know how to say her name, but Ellisku, um, who was a Rolling Stone reporter uh, who, you know, covered Britney going back to, I guess let's call them the Halcyon days of, you know, hit me baby one more time. And oops, I did it again. And, you know, wrote the first Rolling Stone cover story of Britney. And there's an interesting story there, too. I mean, both Aaron Lee Carr and, and Jenny Ellisku come from the point of view. It's like we're trying to i guess redefine what all of this means not not necessarily as like um this was like the end result of like a series of questionable actions but this is something that was done to her and they they do and i think jenny uh Elisky says at one point like she was a fan and she was uh coming at it from like a very human place and there's a whole segment where she talks about like in 2009 2010 she um actually tried to help uh get like legal papers like get britney to sign legal papers so that she could then petition the court to get her own lawyer and they had to like basically do like a dead drop in like an la hotel bathroom where you know she she goes in one stall and britney goes in another stall and they pass Mm -hmm. the papers underneath the the stalls i mean that's i mean that's crazy that's i mean that sounds like the measures people go through to like deprogram people from cults. It sounds like she was trying to escape from a cult. Oh, she uh, absolutely was. It was just <laughs> run by one guy, right? Oh, wow, that's not true. Yeah, he was the head of it. There was, of course, other people that were very much a part of it. There was a whole industry that was yeah interested was in, in keeping. Yeah, it, it's it, it's nuts. It's um, and I think that the movie does a, a really good job of 
laying this out point by point about how the court system failed. Uh, that basically, yeah. oh, go multiple ahead. Times. Well, yeah. it, fa- it failed multiple times. It shows that. Yeah. And um, my only flaw with regards to what we're saying, a focus on the issues is they didn't get enough people to interview. I wish they had got the manager, uh, Louise Mary Taylor, or mm. of course, Jamie Lynn Spears or the father. But um, you know what, actually, because this is going off what you were just saying, that could take away the focus of Brittany as the main focus. So, Well, I think it's very clear those people don't want to talk because they were clearly in the business of making money off. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They could have <laughs> maybe dug a little deeper and got some info. But yeah, I know, I, you're right. You're correct. I think there was a title card even that they reached out to like people like Lou Taylor and Jamie Spears and asked to for them to participate and that they didn't. I mean, Lou Taylor is a, a particularly interesting case. Her, what is it? She has like a public relations firm where they were like paid half a million dollars for not basically not doing anything because I guess they were writing invoices for times for doing Britney Spears promotion when she wasn't promoting anything, which is, I mean, just kind of like nakedly corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Just oh, write us a just all, write us a half million dollar check, okay? All, all for money, and uh, I think they also displayed that well through the concerts and uh, her tours. Mm-hmm. That was that was just plain madness, and um, the performances were actually oh, like they were good. She still her dancing was amazing, her singing. I maybe some of it was lip syncing, but it was still darn darn good lip syncing, you know. Um, there were for yeah phenomenal performances. She was the one doing it, and I, I just with all the issues she was dealing with, I would be able to, I think I would be dead if I was Brittany. I just, I can't, she would not be able to get enough sleep. I just, she's so strong, you know? I think that's kind of like, I might be what also like, you know, dam- damaged her, you know, a, a bit uh, mentally. Um, and it was, they were, she was the one pushed to do it, right? I wish that was kind of, I, I think that both Carr and, and LSD are trying to hold on to some kind of journalistic detachment, even though they are deeply invested in Britney's story. But I, I, I think that is kind of one thing that is missing with this is like, is promoting that strength and that resiliency of Britney and how she was like still trying to fight, even though uh, clearly there are huge gaps in like these conservatorship laws that allowed her to continue to be held back and held down by people who I think clearly didn't have their best interests at heart. I mean, and and the fact that she was like touring and doing this Las Vegas series and writing an album and uh, going on X factor and and all of this. And it's like, I forgot about the X factor. (laughs) You know, That's that's just madness right there. Well, it is madness. And it's just like, so you're keeping her, you know, locked up and under conservatorship because she's not well, but you're like working her to the nub. And I mean, that seems, you know, just the the logical gap there just doesn't make a lot of sense that, you know, here's this woman who is working her ass off, <laughs> but she can't be trusted with the results of like the the, the the product the produce of of all that hard work and of course the, the thing that blew my mind and i was like well into the movie at this point but it was kind of in the last third or so is is when it showed that her net worth went up in like 20 
2018, um, during this time where Jamie Spears is like, I'm going to control your life. I'm going to say who you can see, who you cannot see, how much money you get a month, you know, how, how often you see your kids. But he's like, she's rolling in money. She, her, her net worth goes up $10 million, $12 million in a single year. And it's like, like no, really no one saw the disconnect that, you know, it's, it's not like she was collecting like rare artwork or something where things that appreciate in value, like that is all that money comes from like being on stage night and day, rehearsing, um, writing new music, producing new choreography, uh, it just it's, yeah, it's, it's not all from radio <laughs> funds you know what i mean it's not yeah. all from it playing yeah. it's still <laughs> britney when we like ourselves we're visually seeing her at her worst it's her also working working her butt off you know it's yeah it's crazy uh, like we, like you said though and like like i mentioned they could have maybe delved uh, a bit more into that yeah um, it was it was it was a broad view it was it was a broad view. I think something else that could have gotten a greater focus was they did, of course, mention it. Some of the well, I'll mention this after um, I could have dealt with more references to her portrayal in media. Mm. It would have been great getting a mention of even the ones that thought they were not portraying her in a positive way, but the issue in a better way, like the South Park episode on her. Mm. I bet that really hurt her, um, you know, and uh, I think I think that would have been really great. I think it would have maybe at the very least added some strength to uh, to the film, you know, the viewers feelings. I think going in that direction, though, and I, I may be quoting an actual interview with Aaron Carr on this, is that they didn't want because the, the previous documentaries, the New York Times one framing Britney Spears kind of goes into that territory a bit. Um, and it also but it also meant rerunning kind of like her greatest hits of how she ended up in a conservative ship to begin with, like a lot of that. That's true. They would have had to show the, uh, yeah. the haircut and everything like that. No, that's a good point. That's a good that, point. Yeah. So they wanted to be a little yeah. bit more restrained with that stuff because I mean, <laughs> you could say it's like, it's, you know, we're trying to do it for her, but then you kind of rerun this awful footage of her and, and like also yeah. the awful media portrayals. Although there might be a way to sort of like contextualize that, like in the case of South Park too, where it's just like, it, it, the film kind of plays with this a little. It doesn't really get into it very much, though, because it's it's very much focused on everything that was wrong with the conservatorship. But I mean, in that is that here's another case of um, a young woman who is like built up and she's, you know, creates this empire and then immediately people start trying to take bits of it and tries to pull her down. Um she's utterly destroyed and and then so much as like i think i appreciate the free britney movement and all that you can't help but sort of look at this cynical situation where she is built up and up and up and then she is torn down 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 and now we're kind of building her up again and so well what's the next phase of this have people learned that lesson and will britney be allowed to just like sort of be herself like are are paparazzi still going to be like chasing her down the road and be being you know set up near her house and what you know inev- waiting for in their minds the next inevitable disaster because the next phase after the build-up is the teardown mm-hmm. um is is something like that inevitable i don't know and I, it wasn't necessarily the director's responsibility to get into that uh but, but 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 it is something i think a consideration that 
I, I, I would hope somebody kind of addresses somewhere that in, in so much as we're kind of building Brittany back up again, we already built her up once and then we tore her down. And so are we just going to tear her down again? I hope not, but you know, the, the media ecosystem is not necessarily controllable. It's, it's yeah. And the film leaves that as a question. Yeah. You know? It doesn't say, Oh, it's all been fixed. It's all good. It's yes. uh, we've got more to come and it, it's up to us to, you know, uh, place Brittany where, where she deserves, right. A more positive, uh, you know, positive scope. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, I didn't think about it that way. I do think you're absolutely correct. It's good. They left out, uh, some of that, um, it, they mentioned it, I think briefly, but they didn't focus on the kids either. And they didn't mention mm. Jamie Lynn Spears once. And even though I know earliest in the review, I mentioned that in a negative way, <laughs> it, it definitely does draw the focus towards Britney's uh, positivities. I think this is why I said it, it's, it's almost like a film essay. It's very opinionated, but, um, like through actual you know like facts and studies that Aaron Lee Carr did so it's it's mm-hmm. it's really great in that way mm-hmm. and um I think uh even though I guess this does kind of contradict this is similar to if they were to show old uh, Zoe 101 more but <laughs> the footage of paparazzi and other you know when I, whenever Britney Spears was being followed or you know, harassed. Uh, it was great footage for that. The one where the hospital or the ambulance is taking Brittany to the hospital and the mm. paparazzi are like holding on to the ambulance. That was that was some great footage. I don't know whoever they had shifted through the archives of different Brittany paparazzi footage, which is, you know, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, billions of hours, thousands, whatever. Yeah. Um, bad, bad respect to them. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, just another, another positive visually of this film. Yeah, the, it was kind of I hate to say that like this image of like a paparazzi friendly frenzy was tasteful, but I mean, if you were to ever find footage of a paparazzi frenzy, that is tasteful. This would be, this is kind of like the tasteful coverage where you could, the, the focus is on the frenzy, not necessarily on, on how she was covered. And yeah, it's, you know, just watching that you think to yourself well that would probably drive me crazy too every time i leave my house like like having a caravan follow you um of, of people who you know frankly you don't want to follow you around oh yeah no, i thought about that too i i'm very glad that that's not the case yeah it would you know i i might drive me to stop somewhere and shave my head too but um i mean there, there's a lot of interesting i mean it doesn't revisit the past outside of the conservatorship too much there was an interesting line i heard i can't remember who says it but they talked about like the whole kevin federline situation i was gonna bring him up too yeah yeah, yeah and, and it, how it was, it was brief but i think and i guess i needed a look yeah but I, I found it interesting that some somebody's again i can't remember who but somebody said like he was not the type of person you would expect to like end up married to a pop princess like if you were to choose someone who would end up with uh like britney spears who is like a best-selling artist and uh singer and and all that you would not choose the kind of scuzzy looking backup dancer well why was this is this person have are they aware of like what the 90s was like (laughs) i I know i I don't have much memory but like he was cool like a wife beater and like baggy jeans and his, you know, hair that he didn't comb after getting out. I was unfortunate. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but that was unfortunately cool. Like top, top notch. Right. He was a model for, you know, CK. Right. And uh, 
So just because of solely that, even though I know based on what well, Britney represents, he's not I mean, her type. He's I, just I mean, totally cool, which I think was her type as an A-list celebrity. Right, and the the, the film like people that the interview in the film make the point that like she was like kind of pursued him, which is you know fine. People are entitled to, which I uh, didn't know. So that to, was that was a cool little you know thing. to choose love whoever um, whomever they love, but it it struck me that this person was getting at an essential truth. Yeah. Like Madonna enjoyed dalliances with some of her backup dancers. And that's kind of a thing, but at the end of the day, she like marries Guy Ritchie. So it, <laughs> you know, the, the pairing of, you know, Brittany and Justin Timberlake, for example, you know, that makes sense. He's the leader of NSYNC. She's the queen of pop or the princess of pop. So, you know, it's like, mm. it's like natural, I was going to say natural selection, but that's not quite right. But it's just like, yeah, that, that, like that partnership makes sense. Yeah, um, but he was a model, right? Kevin well, and, and, Kev, yeah, well, and then Kevin, but Kevin Federline, again, you can have the dalliance with the backup dancer. That's kind of baked into the cake, but you don't bring the, the backup dancer home and then marry him and then okay. have kids that's, in, in yeah, quick yeah. succession. There's something about that that did not fit the conventional. Again, like there was something, you know, people approached. Britney as, as a kind of virginal figure and you know she could dance suggestively and sing suggestive lyrics but then it, there was there was a grand expectation upon her to maintain this virginal image and then Kevin Federline comes along and um, I mean it, 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 it's it's very misogynistic but you know it's just like she she can be sexual but she can't have sex mm-hmm. and that uh, you know I you look back now and you kind of think, well, that's kind of where she screwed up is like, she started pursuing her own ideas. She started pursuing um, people who other people in her life would say like, don't settle down with Kevin Federline. And again, this is not to present Kevin Federline necessarily as an innocent lost lamb in this. He certainly, you know, exploited the situation to his benefit as well. Yeah. He got more money for the uh, divorce. Right. Right. So it's, it just it was the start of a situation where like look what Britney is doing she is cavorting around with this scumbag <laughs> yeah it's what things started to uh turn awry become right yeah become different <laughs> and so i mean was and Kevin... it was the, it was the judgment of that that led yeah that had it happen even quicker and you know the mental issues and her troubles all around to go further i mean was kevin federline a scumbag i mean that's our image of him i i don't think it was helped by like this like guest star appearance he did on one tree hill where he literally played a scumbag but he's definitely uh, not the worst the 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 (laughs) manager and that one like lawyer whoever they interviewed who didn't answer any questions yeah worse um oh my god that lawyer oh yeah 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 (laughs) see that was cool i enjoyed that that was just a little i i think a lot of people especially in uh, this was a very basic documentary but thinking even more basic documentaries that would have just been taken out because there's like no new information given but i loved it because that was yeah yeah that was an awesome sequence because Mm -hmm. he's like sits down and they're like uh did you examine britney spears like i can't talk about a patient it's like well why the hell do you think you're here pal (laughs) yeah he shows the problem of the legal system as a whole that contributed to britney's issues it's like yeah we have this document with your signature on it and he's like I, I don't know where you got that. I don't, <laughs> it's it was so bizarre, but um, I, I love as as a sequence. I loved it, but yeah, yeah it's it, <laughs> but yeah the the cave. I mean, 
going back to, uh, to Kevin Federline, I actually looked up like, what has he been up to lately? Cause I can't remember the last time I heard anything about him. It was, it, must have been 10 and he's like he's like off somewhere like living a quiet life he has like Mm -hmm. he's married to someone else he has other kids and it's like well that's fine so again remembering the time everything was kind of encoded with this like kevin federline's a scumbag and he's ruining britney it's like did he um is no, that what actually like, happened? <laughs> no, he was just the enemy at the time, right? Yeah. And even though it wasn't something that major, they they he was the enemy. It was it was bad. It was horrendous. It doesn't matter what it was, he was the enemy. Yeah. So and there are a lot of there's, there's massive hatred. He wasn't great. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying this documentary did show uh even the people even even a lot of things we were saying in Britney's defense weren't based around the truth, you know? And that mm. might have contributed to uh less of an early focus on her awful father yeah because there seems to be like routinely these people coming in and out of her life who are then cast as villains like Federline um this character Sam Lutfi who may have been her manager or not <laughs> yeah. um, and uh it, it just seems like they they constantly needed a new scapegoat to sort of yeah he seemed totally fine he seemed pretty chill yeah <laughs> like just, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's kind of bizarre. And then there's like the whole. Th- there were people around her who understood that she was kind of going through hell. And there was this sequence where our, um, one of her old backup dancers comes to her Vegas show and they meet backstage. And she tells a story about how when security took her back to her seat. He said to her, like, you should come here all the time because I've never seen Brittany that happy. Uh, all, all these years, years, <laughs> I've worked for her. And I mean, okay, you're a security guard. So perhaps it's like in the hierarchy of things, perhaps it's not your place to like issue summary judgments of the people taking care of your client. On the other hand, I mean, how many, he's trying how, to help out his bud too. I mean, how many people like the security guard have like, I mean, this is, it, it, we always hear about these situations with people who are abused where different people have a different piece of the puzzle. They see something that should make them think. And then there's somebody else over here who sees something else and they should, it should make them think. And I just, I'm the movie left me wondering, it's like how many people in Britney Spears life understood in some way how miserable she was and nothing happened. Yeah. Like uh, more of um, trying to push towards therapy and different things like that. I mm-hmm. think would have, yeah. So, any more thoughts about Britney versus Spears before? Yeah, we... I'll okay. just. I think if you really like Britney Spears, or like mm-hmm. me, you you think a lot about it and her issues, whether you're on her side or not. I think you should watch this documentary. It does deal with a couple of things the others don't. Uh, mainly, just a really great positive focus on, on Spears herself, mm-hmm. and the very end they have uh audio i guess i guess it's audio footage or you know they have an audio recording of her speech at the most recent yeah um uh, yeah yeah testament that she made and it's it's remarkable and honestly i would recommend it just for that at the end or if you just want to find that online it's a really great tidbit showing how lucid she was and how you know i'm glad the what happened after her getting more independence happened and yeah so just little uh, tidbits like that. Not a great doc, but if you love Brittany or interested in it, I, I would say, yeah, check this out for sure. 
yeah, stylistically, it's it's unimpressive. But I mean, there's a lot of meat here um, for for you to chew on. And I think that if you know, maybe if you're one of those people who you know made fun of Britney back in the day, it's it's worth kind of going back and sort of recontextualizing some of the things you you might have thought or said or did about her because i mean that was kind of yeah what it was like for me yeah it's there's a lot of meat here it's not necessarily uh i mean it's not like earl morris went to town here but i mean having said that um it's it's 90 minutes long it it is very detailed um it it if, if you're not terribly familiar with the conservancy story and um, are trying to look for a place to start, this is probably like the best place to start in terms of like trying to understand the story. And I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not great art, but I mean, the story is interesting. The details are interesting and it is really getting at something that I think, um, yeah, I, 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 the, the, the documentary filmmaking aspect is fine, but I mean, you, you, you glom onto these things for the story details. And I, and I think there, there's a lot to recommend Britney versus Spears. And I mean, it's in the, it's in the top 10 uh, Netflix right now for a reason. So. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And it definitely deserves better than it's some of the, um, the numeric reviews that it got so you know rotten tomatoes and such so i just oh really yeah, don't don't pay attention to that people yeah yeah don't yeah yeah well i mean generally speaking rotten tomatoes is good for like giving you an idea of what to expect but i mean don't don't not see anything because of rotten tomato score it's okay to like a movie exactly <laughs> If if you come away from with one thing, it's okay to like a movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Peter, if people want to um I don't know, crowdfund you for that Jamie Lee Jamie Lynn Spears doc, uh, I don't know. How can how can people find you on the internet? Uh uh Peter Wesley Salmon on TikTok and Mr. Towerack on YouTube and Twitter. And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. Or you can download it on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And if you're in Spotify anyway, you can just search for the playlist for most of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU in your Spotify app to find it. Speaking of finding us, you can find us on social media, on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and on Twitter at End Credits Radio I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. We will be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then.